A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. It has been a wild a week so far, and we're only on Wednesday. We've sorry we haven't been with you since uh, those playoff games, but we're uh, we're here. We're ready to rock and roll. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Well, uh, you know, uh, when I woke up this morning, woke up to uh, to my five year old ha- having a little bit of a high fever, um, mm. and uh, looks like as we're heading into the night, um, my baby is feeling better. My five-year-old, though, is uh, is starting to get snotty. However, uh, Spencer, I don't know if you heard, um, <laughs> the greatest greatest uh, football coach of all time uh, just retired today. He did. He has. Uh, that's why I say it's been an eventful week. What championship yeah. game was Monday night, and now mm-hmm. the greatest coach of all time is uh, has called it quits. Were you surprised? I felt like I was a. I felt like I wasn't surprised, but at the same time I was because I don't think I expected it just yet. I thought maybe there might be another season. However, that conversation has been ramped up a little bit over you know the last couple of years when talking about Nick Saban and whether or not he's ready to go. And people have indicated he's smiling a lot more this season and that that might uh, indicate that it's he's enjoying this and he's ready to he's about to be done. How did you feel? I felt surprised, but then I think I immediately kind of, okay, I guess this makes sense. Okay, so, all right, I'll answer this question, and then I want to say, if we can, save the Saban stuff for after the games, just because, like, sure. what I want to say has, has a lot, and it leads to bigger bigger things. I'll, I'll just say this as an initial reaction. Um, okay, so a couple things. One, back in October, back in October when Bam beat Tennessee at home, it it was really weird, like see him like literally do a victory lap around the entire stadium, and and say hey to the fans, okay. And I thought that was weird. You and I mentioned it. You and I mentioned it sometime later. I remember we did, but it was to give credit, man. It was Bud Elliott who at that point started pointing out the fact like this, like Saban's starting to talk a little happier. He's starting to talk with almost like he's doing a farewell tour. Um, and as the season went on, it still continued to feel that way, just being way more positive, being more of a grandpa, you know, watching his kids play. Um, and and then there, and then you go back to the SEC championship um, with the conversation with Kirby and Saban. Have you seen that video, by the way, Spencer? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so there's this video of those two talking at midfield before the SEC championship game. And it just, it didn't seem like two people who were about to play each other in a game. It it seemed like two friends, like, having like a, a reminiscent conversation because they knew, they knew something. And I, I, for one, I'll just say this, I, for one, do not believe for a second that this decision was made recently. I believe this decision was made a while ago. And I think people close to him, maybe Kirby smart included knew this was coming. Um, 
So like I, yeah, I think I yeah I, I'm I'm surprised just in the sense I never thought Saban would retire. I thought that old old man was going to die on the field somewhere. But at the same time, like you you do a retrospect, you you start paying attention to the things that you've heard throughout the season. It it really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I feel like that might be where I'm at. Kind of like oh wow, it's happening. But I think we saw if you're paying attention, you saw some of the tea leaves. You saw some yeah. of the things being pointed out that just said. This this might be coming. This might yeah. be a little bit more, um, like okay, you know, realistic. Yeah. I, I have a lot to say. So let's let's get to the games for those that because I talked to like I posted about it on our Twitter and stuff. We had major technical difficulties uh f- from the week of the playoff to the national championship, um, and then Spencer was on a cruise and I got sick. And so we will we will post that initial reaction of me just because of the the part about the defensive line recruiting analysis that I did. Um, we'll post that probably this week, but we're just going to just real quick pull a, a, a Wayne's world and go back in time a little bit and let Spencer share some thoughts about the bowl games. Um, so we're going to talk about the, or not bowl games, but the playoff games, Spencer. So uh, just for those that want to know, we're going to do playoff games. We're going to talk about the national championship, and then we're going to talk about Saban. Um, Spencer, so go ahead and give me like just some initial thoughts. First of all, on the Texas Washington game, I, I, you know, I really didn't get to talk cause you were on a ship. You were on a boat. I'm on a boat. I want to, I want to say the whole song right now, but I can't, uh, you know what song I'm talking about? Yep. Okay, all right. Um, but g- give me give me some of your thoughts, man, after that game. So, uh, Texas-Washington, obviously really impressed with, you know, the performance that Michael Penix gave. I think they were down there running back in that game, or he was beat up in there as well as he seems to have been here over the last course of the season. I thought Washington had a real good chance in that game of, of pulling away. Against Texas, I think they took a couple of opportunities to drive the nail into the coffin with some big shot plays that um, that maybe kept Texas in it because those shot plays didn't go anywhere. And I guess you can give Texas's defense a lot of credit for Spencer. you know holding those spots. Spencer, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to cut you off, but there's a little little five year old who wanted to say good night to you. So good night. Good night, pal. Sleep tight. I hope you feel better. Hey, Elijah, can you say goodnight, listeners? Goodnight, listeners? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's people who are going to listen to uh, me and Mr. Spencer talk, okay? Say goodnight. Goodnight. All right. Spencer, I'm sorry. Keep going with your, your thoughts. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're, you're fine. Uh, so, yeah, so Texas did a good job of holding tight on some of those shot plays where Washington did have a chance to – sort of kill that game, um, run up the score. I think they're up by they're up by double digits at that point. But it was a fun track meet there for a while in that first half, and then you thought somewhere in the second half here, somebody's got to do something. And Texas was the Texas was the team that kind of flinched a little bit or blinked, had some turnovers, had some other things that just didn't go their way. But I thought I was really impressed with Michael Penix as we've been all season long and it kind of felt like here's a moment where they're back on track offensively and it's got to feel good if you're a Washington fan watching them get into that fold and then how the defense played in the second half with getting some stops 
where they needed to go. It was a good moment for Texas, or I'm sorry, Washington, playing against a team that had a really good defensive front, and particularly that third quarter, right at the start, Washington did a great job with a quick passing game to get down the field, score a touchdown, and it was like, if you're going to beat Michigan, especially after the fact, it felt like that's how you're going to have to do it. You go back to Georgia beating Michigan, and you thought quick passing game was a big, big deal. And if you're going to, if they're better than you, if Michigan is better than you up front, the best way to deal with that is get the ball out quickly. So it felt like a good springboard moment for Washington to have faced a team with a really good front, probably a bigger, more physical front than them. And then that was great preparation going forward for the Michigan game. And even in that national championship game, you saw some moments where the quick passing game was working. It it wasn't as effective, but they were able to move the ball from time to time a little bit here and there because that quick passing game, they were able to access it. It's just, it didn't come with the shot plays downfield like it did against Texas, but felt really good about Washington's chances going forward. Was really impressed with uh, Michael Penix and, yeah, it um, it felt like we were headed for a really good showdown in the national championship game. Yeah, uh, you know, now now having a week, a week to you know think about it and and reflect and ha- you know have a whole another game you know past it. I the the thing that like I I, I bragged and talked all about Penix and those wide receivers and Kellen DeBoer and <clears throat> just the lackluster performance on the defensive side of the ball by Texas and um, how they had elite defensive linemen, but they had no depth for those defensive linemen. And that showed in the fourth quarter. But the thing that I, again, looking back, the thing that disappoints me is that Washington just refused to be able to put Texas away. Like they just seemed to lack a killer instinct at times in that game, you know, Um, like, you know, and, and, I'm not saying that that transitioned into the national championship game because that would not be fair. Um, <clears throat> but it it goes back to like what we've t- like what p- people have talked about before in the past. Like some teams are just happy to be there. And I, I wonder if I wonder if Washington dealt with that a little bit heading into the, the national championship game. Um, so, uh, OK, so what, what about what about Bama, Michigan? That's a game that you and I did not get to talk about at all. Um, what what did you what did you think? I mean, wildly impressive with Michigan. It, I mean, anytime you can be in the playoff and you can beat uh, Alabama, I think that goes a long way. I think you looked at how Michigan was able to run the football, four point one yards a carry. That felt really impressive. It wasn't the fact that it was just they dominated on the ground, but they had a good enough game on the ground. And then you got a good enough performance through the air from J.J. McCarthy. Probably, I mean, I haven't seen every other one of his games, but this is probably his best game through the air of the year considering the opponent, considering it's Alabama, considering it can be so easy to get caught up in, oh boy, it's Alabama. You know, and oh my goodness, and here they go. And it can be really easy to get bogged down in that. And then twofold, it's Michigan. And so, oh, if something doesn't go right, here we go again. And so you got that 
happening on both ends. But J.J. McCarthy, 17 of 27, 221, not the most outstanding statistically, but three touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks. A really nice day for J.J. McCarthy going uh, through the air, and then you get the things that you need on um, – on the ground, including a 17-yard touchdown run there in overtime, and then you get the stop uh, defensively as well when you needed it. So I was really impressed with Michigan and how they played up front, uh, how J.J. McCarthy played. I've always kind of been a little bit of a – had a question mark next to his name, and even coming out of the national championship game, I still kind of have a – he was good enough, sort of of similar to Stetson Bennett. He was good enough, and – this passing game for Texas, or I'm sorry, Michigan, was good enough. They they got the things that they needed to get, and I think they did a really good job against Jalen Milrow. Sacking him six times is always uh, that's always a nice number. But I felt like too you kept him from getting too crazy on the ground um, because you kept them in long distance uh, situations. So Michigan had not seen a really prolific passing game all season from a from an opponent and it felt like the receivers at Alabama might be the more the more talented group that they would see for the year and they stepped up to the challenge and did a really you know great job holding down what has been a explosive enough passing game this year for Alabama certainly not their best that they've ever had and certainly not the best of the season but you felt like, yep. hey, if if Milrow has time to move around, if he can do some scrambling, and these defensive backs have got to face against these capable receivers, it felt like there was a chance Alabama might could do something. But Michigan said, no, nope, we are the best defense this year, and they proved it in that game. So it was a really great jumping-off point for both teams. You definitely felt like if you're Michigan, if you're a Michigan fan, you guys can't get too caught up in this win. You know, there's still one more to go. Uh, that was something that did concern me after that game was don't get too excited about this because this isn't it. You know, this is this is just one of those it's. You still got one more to go. So don't I didn't want that to be a, a thought process for them that they had already arrived that okay, we did it because we got past that first round like we've had trouble with. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, to, to your point, something you said, like just that needs to be mentioned. Like a lot of times, Bama, Bama wins when the when, when they get off the bus, and it's not because of like no. they don't have to try. It's because so many teams look at who's come who comes off that bus, and it's almost it's already intimidation. You know, like uh, the, the, there's a lot of people who uh, talk about this with like George in the TCU game. Um, last year, you know, last year's national title, like it, it just, you could see it in TCU's faces. Like when they, when they were warming up, like it just was different. Um, you know, but they also talk about that with Bama for years. I, I think, I think it happened with Bama in 2015, uh, against, uh, when they went to, when they came to Athens, uh, under Mark Rick, I think they won when they got off the bus, um, because of just how huge and how athletic these guys were. Um, it, it was it was impressive. I have a hot take about the level of Michigan um, here in a minute when we get when we talk about the Natty. But like, I agree with you. I I was absolutely blown away by the physicality in which Michigan was just 
putting it on Alabama. Like, you know, Georgia got Georgia got dominated in the SEC championship f- physically. And Michigan just went around and came around and just did the exact same thing to Bama a month later. Yeah, almost like a pick on somebody your own size. I know yeah, Georgia exactly. fans would just vomit at that, but yeah. it's almost like a okay, you gonna you gonna manhandle them like that. We'll manhandle you. Yeah, exactly. Um, any other thoughts on those two games before we move to the natty? No, just uh, JJ McCarthy was six of nine in the fourth quarter against Alabama for eighty-seven yards and a touchdown. Um, even though Alabama outscored them in that fourth, ten to seven. Obviously, those seven points from Michigan uh, go a long way to, you know, keeping it in overtime and uh, and and winning the ball game. Four yard touchdown pass ties the game for JJ McCarthy at twenty apiece. So that touchdown pass obviously the sends them to overtime and gives mm-hmm. them the chance. So you, you you play from behind against Alabama. That's big. Yeah, I. I, I will say this too. Um, I, I, I don't remember if I said this on whenever on my single pot or not, but I, I firmly believe this. If it wasn't for a muffed punt, Michigan, I think Michigan beats Alabama like handily. Cause I, I think when, cause I think when that happened, I think they, oh, was that the Texas game? No, no, no. I'm talking about, I apologize. I'm, t- I'm talking about the Michigan, Michigan Bama game where Michigan muffed that punt and gave it back to Bama. Um, a- after that, like, I think well, there they were, was a, uh, no, I, I just there there was a uh, Michigan was either up by one or two scores, and then they they stopped they stopped Bama again, and then they muffed the punt. Michigan muffed the punt after that. That's why like everyone bashed Michigan for having such poor special teams because they had the muff punt, they had the the missed punt opportunity return punt return um, late in the game just before uh, just before overtime. Do you know what I'm talking about now or no? No, I felt like I remember this conversation with the Texas uh, Michigan game that there was a there was Texas an opportunity the Texas Texas Washington game that there was a there was an opportunity for Tech uh, Washington to be up two scores but had muffed a punt and gave it a back to Texas for them to tie it up at twenty one or whatever it was. I'm no. not trying to throw a monkey in the wrench. I'm just no 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 no. It's okay. I'm I'm looking right at it right now. Uh, Michigan, it's. It's fourth and twenty-three. Um, I think this is it. I'm just looking at the play real quick. Yeah, this is it. It's it's fourth and twenty-three. Uh, Michigan or Michigan gets them on. It gets them hell back, and the Michigan player tries to run under the ball, and he he muffs the punt on their own forty-yard line, forty-five-yard line, and Bama gets the ball. Um, like. And, and now, now I don't think Bama turned those into points, but it still like took a possession away from Alabama. Um, they they were just horrible. Away from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, it was just bad for Michigan at times. But yeah, man. Um, I, I just I just feel like if you take away the special teams errors, and I think there was missed field goal too there. Like if you take those away, I, I do I do think uh, Michigan wins this game pretty handily. I I felt like Michigan was the better team, and it would have been sickening. If if Bama if Bama won that game, so, um, okay. All right, Natty, Natty man. Um, okay, so we'll talk about the winners first. Um, Michigan, you, you and I, 
in the second and third quarter, it felt like you and I were just waiting for Washington to take over this game because Michigan kept trying to kept trying to keep them in the game. But it never freaking happened. Yeah, the drama of this one was really, really interesting because I mean, Michigan's leading 14 to three after the first quarter. They lead 17 to three in the second quarter. It's not till 42 seconds remaining in the uh, second, uh, just before halftime, that Washington is able to find a three yard touchdown pass to JJ McMillan to make it a 17 to 10 game. And you've got kind of a different thing. So you get this the drama of Michigan just busting it wide open with two 40 yard runs from Donovan Edwards. And it looks like it's going to be a boat race and that we're in another Alabama or, excuse me, Georgia TCU situation. But somehow or another, Washington's defense settles in. They figure out how to get stops. And it's um, it's a different kind of ballgame. You start making J.J. McCarthy have to put the ball in the air, 10 of 18 for 140 yards. Not terrible numbers, but at the same time, not necessarily. I think if you looked at it and thought, if this was just a regular game and it wasn't the national championship game, you'd look at J.J. McCarthy and think, man, we could have used a little bit more from you there in the second or the third or whatever it was to help kind of pull away here from from this Washington team. Yeah. Um, I Okay, so, so to, to culminate both games together, I felt like – I felt the physicality I felt the physicality of Michigan against uh, against Bama proved that they gave the inclination that they were the best defense in the country. And then and then fast forward to the national championship game against Washington, which is the best pass offense in 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 the nation. I think it solidified that they are the best defense in the country. Um, oh, the, for the, sure. The the way that they were able to shut down Michael Penix, get get to him, or maybe not even get sacks, but get to him. Uh, cause him to not be able to uh, do his shoulder thing, his wind-up thing that he does on his throws. They they weren't like, and then those man, their wide receivers were just on lock. But then also they had, I think I think I counted, I think it was four four to six drops. There was definitely four or five overthrows by Penix. I, I think Michigan was just able to rattle the Penix and those wide receivers in this game, and it was an incredible game plan defensively, um, and then offensively. Uh, offensively, you know, give, give give them credit. They knew exactly what they what they needed to do. Run the freaking ball. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and Donovan Edwards and Corum had a field day for two quarters for the first and the fourth quarter. Yeah, and it felt like, boy, how much worse could this have been if Michigan had had, had Washington not found some semblance of hope slowing down the running game just a little bit. Uh, Could this have been... Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, uh, I had to sneeze, sorry. No, it's okay. Could this have been even worse, which again, 17-3, to you're thinking, here we go, this is going to be nasty. But Washington did just enough in the second and third to kind of keep it on on lock a little bit, made J.J. McCarthy put the ball in the air, and that worked out to their advantage. In, in a lot of ways to keep keep a keep a you know some hope alive but yeah no you give 
Michigan all the credit in the world. They found all the ground game that they needed, obviously eight yards for the contest, 300 total yards, 104 yards for Edwards, 134 yards for Corum. It was a great day on the ground. And like you said, you speed up Michael Penix, you get him off his spot, you do the things that you have to do. Pressure against any quarterback is always going to be the right thing. Uh, But the really, really great quarterbacks, you've got to get the right kind of pressure on those guys. You you know, Brady, it was always you had to bring the front of the offensive line to him. You had to put the center right on top of Brady in order for it to really bother him. And I think for Michael Penix, they kept that pocket dirty so that when he, against Texas, he was able to slide away from guys and throw downfield. And I think Bud Elliott said it. He kept his eyes downfield. Well, in this game, you know, he might have slid, but you could always tell he's only sacked one time. But you could tell he slid, but he felt the other guys around him. He knew his offensive line was getting beat, and he knew it sped him up. It took him off his mark, and he just wasn't as accurate. They also took things away on the outside. None of the, you know, I didn't realize this going into the game. But Michael Penix throwing over the middle of the field is apparently not his his not his thing. He wants Absolutely. to throw to the outsides, mm-hmm. and, which and, and sounds I, wild. Agreed. Yes, I that was the stat that that shocked me. Of like, hey, no, you know, no one should really be surprised by this because he's not really great throwing throwing downfield in the middle of the field. And and I was just like, what? Like, but he's awesome. <laughs> you know, like Dude, you like would I, think those are the you would think those are the easier throws when they're there. You yes. just you're in the pocket. You throw it over the middle. You would think that's the easier throw when they're when they're there. And obviously, a guy like Michael Penix, all the talent in the world, he can make even the tougher throws look easy. And they would be you know throws that you would want. But for whatever reason, he doesn't look that way. He wants to go. Um, he wants to go to the outside, uh, which is funny enough too, because on that second interception that he throws, that pretty much seals the ball game. They're get, they're going down there. There, it's kind of like okay, here might be the moment that Washington finally breaks through and makes Michigan pay for these moments. And two, Penix's left, he's got Odunze coming open on what looks oh. like a you know just an oh. in cutting route. Yeah, and he doesn't look that way. He forces it down the sideline, and it gets intercepted. And it's like if you could have seen this thing over here, and it's coming in, and that or might be the completion for the first down. down. Or that overthrow in the fourth yeah. down where Jose yeah. is wide open and all you got to do is do that because we've seen that play all year. We've seen that. It was almost. Yeah, it was almost like it was a miscommunication on the route of some kind, like because he throws it so far towards. I guess a behind him, essentially, and making him spin to come back to try to catch the ball, which he gets hands on it. But it's so, so much of an adjustment that ah, I mean. When knowing Penix and how accurate he is, it feels like it was a miscommunication. But at the same time, it was just he just missed him because, you know, Michigan's pressure had had done enough. Yeah. I mean, all, again, all the credit in the world to to Michigan. I also, I, I this is not me making excuses. This is just me like an observation. I kind of also think Michael Penix's ankle got hurt early in that game. And, oh, yeah, I, and I, you saw him. I mean, yeah, he was beat up. And I, I just, oh yeah, man, by the end of the game, like he, he, he looked like he just went 12 rounds in a heavyweight fight. I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know if that ankle was really that hurt. Again, not making excuses. But it, it did seem that he was just different after the first quarter, after a certain rolling up on his ankle. It, it just it, it just looked off, you know? Um, Al, I had a friend of mine tell me early in the ball game, they said, this is a wrap with the, and I think it was still 17 to three. And they were like, this is a wrap with the running back being hurt. How much, I mean, if Dylan Johnson's healthy, how much yeah. does that change this game? Well, if if this was if this was midseason, I would probably say not really at all because Dylan. If you look at the stats, like Dylan Johnson wasn't really like he was of course effective, but he wasn't as effective as he's been the last month for them. Like he like the offense had evolved in ways, just like their run defense, uh, or I'm sorry, run defense, pass defense, which, whichever one was really bad had had evolved at the latter part of the season. Um. I think that I think Dylan Johnson getting injured the way he did at the end of that Texas game, first of all, it it screwed up and almost get, you know almost cost them that game. But secondly, I I do think it was a factor. I, I think it was a huge factor in in the game. Do I think it cost them the title? No, no. The, the, it, it, what cost them the title is the fact that they they had to blitz. And, and I'll give them credit on this. After the first quarter getting dominated like they were, they said, okay, well we're gonna run blitz like crazy and put seven in the box and not, and we're going to make McCarthy throw on us. And, and they did. And, and, and <laughs> ironically enough in the, when they forced McCarthy to start throwing on them, McCarthy couldn't really put them away in those second and third quarters. Um, but, but that could only have lasted for so long and Michigan knew what they, what they could do. And they, they knew that if they wore them down in the fourth quarter, they're going to run on them. And they, and they did. And that's that's what this come back. This is what it comes back to come back to. Uh, Michigan had the depth to win a title. You have to have injury luck and you have to have talent and you have to have depth. And Michigan had depth for days, man. Yeah, I think what? Fifty five percent on the blue chip ratio, which I didn't realize was they were that low. On yes. The blue chip ratio. Yeah. Like that. Whew. But that's I mean, that's still the talent, the, yep. the talent depth that you need, especially with the. Well, who was the center that went out for them late in the oh, season? Was it the Ohio State game? Stir, 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 yeah, it was Ohio State game. And, and when he got and when he got injured, people people were saying like, "Oh man, like you know th- this could affect them." Man, I didn't. You couldn't even freaking tell in these two game in these oh. past three games. You couldn't freaking tell at all. Okay, Spencer, I have a borderline hot take about this Michigan team. And I want to see what you think. Because a lot of people like go back to this game and and saw the beating that was happening. You're like, see this this isn't the four best teams. Georgia should have been in. I think Bama beat I think Michigan beats Georgia even if they play them. I think Michigan just was dominant like was dominant on both fronts on the offensive line, the defensive line, which Georgia was not this year. And I just think that they would have would have eventually got wore down, and Michigan would have done the same thing that they did to Bama. The only difference is is that Georgia does have a have a quarterback and, and an offense that could have been able to keep it close. But Michigan's defense was more than just their front seven. They have elite DBs, and and I I, th- I think Georgia would have gotten beat too, man. Maybe even worse than Michigan did. Um. 
than uh, yeah than Washington did. Yeah, I oh, no, I'm, no, worse than Bama did. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, Michigan or Georgia had its chance against Alabama, and you saw Alabama make plays late in the fourth. Georgia couldn't step up with the stops. And Michigan would have been a very similar team. They would have attacked that inside, like it felt like Alabama did that whole game, and it would have been a, it would have been a problem for Georgia. I I, I agree. I don't. And part and, of and me because, thinks. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, and to add to it, the Georgia side of this, people have to keep in mind. I'm saying this knowing that Rob Thomas, Lad McConkey, and Brock Bowers, and and Amarius Mims were still not healthy. Like they were, they would not have been able to play at a hundred percent or ne- nowhere near it had they played in the national in, in the in the playoff. They still weren't healthy. That adds to why I think ba- Michigan beats Bama. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Michigan beats beats Georgia. Hey, uh, interesting thing that I just looked up. Michigan in the first quarter had nine carries for 174 yards. <sighs> The rest of the game, 29 carries for 129 yards. Yeah, man. Eight for 35 in the second, 11 for 64 in the third, and then only 10 of 30 in the uh, in the fourth quarter. But I think one of those was a was a big touchdown run. Uh, It was no, yeah, 12, yeah, 12 yard touchdown run for Corum and a one yard touchdown run for Corum on a short field. Yeah, I'm I'm telling you, I think you should give. Give Washington credit for for their adjustments. You know, like I, I really, I really do think that, that mattered in this game. And, and look, they lost, so you can only give them so much credit. But I, I was impressed with with the fact that I thought the game was over with. I thought I was going to be able to go to bed <laughs> early that 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 night. Um, it did not happen. Uh, but like it just, it was Michigan's time. It was Michigan's year. Speaking of Michigan's year, I got a big question to ask you, Spencer. When you look back at this season, at this championship, any way, shape, or form that you put an asterisk near, like not literally on this, but do you put one on here? I don't know because, yes, there's the sign-stealing thing. I don't know how much the sign-stealing thing is the difference in all of this. I think that it has to cost or has to mean something. And you also consider how much did, I mean, Michigan had to deal with no coach to start the season and then no coach to end the season. So on two different levels there, you're, I mean, Michigan was at a disadvantage at times and still won, still did all the things that they needed to do, still came through the way that they needed to come through. So part of me says how much of it, they got punished. He got suspended for the sign-stealing stuff. So it didn't cost him anything because they continued to win. So I felt like they got they got their punishment, and it still didn't matter. Yeah. You know, he was – he was st- they didn't have Harbaugh, and that didn't seem to make any difference. And I don't know – it was said right away that – the sign stealing stuff, how much of that is really making a major difference? How much of it matters? Everybody does it kind of stuff. So there's that part of it to consider as well that are we just making a big deal about this because it's Michigan and nobody likes Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA seems to have it out for Jim Harbaugh 
because they don't like him either. Because he breaks rules. Right. Or is this a really big deal or not? I think it's a big deal. I like, and at the end of the day, like people who want to say that it it may not be a big deal, that's subjectivity. At the end of the day, they broke rules. They broke pretty serious rules. They went it, they went to great lengths to break the rules. And 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 that that should matter. And I don't feel like it did. And and you know, we barely mentioned this, but like I do I do think it's garbage that the whole argument or the all the arguments that were being had were solely about you know, Georgia, Bama, FSU. Well, why the freaking crap was it just automatic that Michigan deserved to be in? And and I get it. Yeah, I get it. They they won all their games by a substantial margin. They 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 did. They were the best team in the country this year. But at the same time, did they deserve it? Did they deserve the opportunity? And and that that will always be a question for me. Like, I, it's. It, it, I'm not. I'm not taking a title away from them. Who knows what the NCAA is going to do? They can't take a title from anybody. That's so stupid. USC still won. Reggie Reggie Bush is still the Heisman winner for me that year. Like that, nothing like that ever changes for me. But I, I do. I don't look at this title the same way I look at. Like I, I actually think, like you know, people want to short shorthand Bama and their 2020 uh, title run. I have nothing negative or or, or anything to say about that title. I think Everybody I think that, played under the same conditions that year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I will think of this title differently than any other title I've probably seen in the last, you know. Well, so, so what about twenty years? Harbaugh getting suspended at the end of the year isn't that a that's some rel, that's some form of Michigan ha- got caught and they got in trouble. They got a that doesn't punish Mich- that doesn't punish Michigan. That punishes Jim Harbaugh, like. Like and 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 that's because like I don't I because I don't because Jim so do you Harbaugh, think it means Jim Harbaugh was I was just gonna say Jim Harbaugh was not he swore up and down that he didn't know anything it's obvious that his defense coordinator did know things like so every like so Jim Harbaugh wasn't the one who was who was like I understand that he runs the program and everything I understand that but like this would almost be like to me if if i'm working like we'll just say gamestop because i used to work at gamestop if i'm the head manager at gamestop and i have an employee who's stealing and and then they they fire me for my employee stealing like the well, stallions is was fired I, I understand that but but what about the assistant manager who saw him on tape stealing and was okay with letting him steal you know what about the other coworker who was present whenever he was stealing like or what about the 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 member who who gave the money for him to go to Central Michigan and sit on the side like sit on the sidelines with freaking video to video equipment like that that's that's all I mean like I just I don't think I don't think the punishment met the crime across the board I'm not talking about the severity for Harbaugh I'm talking about for the right people who were punished and by the way the NCAA didn't punish him like Michigan fired him as a so, scapegoat you know yeah so. Had those people gotten in trouble and Michigan continued to win, what then? Yeah, I, I, pr- I, I and I'm obviously I, I'm making up a hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I probably I probably wouldn't have anything to say. Like if 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 the defensive coordinator, if the defense coordinator and defensive staff were not, and also he was freaking allowed to, Harbaugh. Like it wasn't even a true suspension. Harbaugh was allowed to be there during the week for the heart for the most important part of the of the week. He was able to be there to prepare. Sure. 
Like, yeah. it was it, again. It's, it wasn't even true suspensions. Like, so if if you want to tell me to your to your point, Spencer, if if they would have if they would have, you know, truly suspended him, defense coordinator, and defensive staff that were benefiting from the from from a homeboy cheating, like, and they still were dominating folk, then I, I probably wouldn't have any anything to say. But we don't we don't know what that world is. Um, Spencer, like, let me let me ask you this though. Let's, let's. I know that we just talked about the cheating stuff, but let's talk about the legacy of Harbaugh. One of the biggest critiques for Kirby Smart, you know, Mark Rick, uh, you know, a lot of coaches is, hey, you, you can't win the big one. Well, Jim Harbaugh was he got that critique a lot, so much so that Michigan was almost about to fire him a couple of years ago, but he got it. He he got he he's won his big title. How how do you view him now? Well, I think a lot of the I've always liked Jim Harbaugh, the football coach, in yeah. terms of I, I enjoy ground and pound. I enjoy the way he's built his programs at Stanford, that whole run that they went on with Hogan and with um, McCaffrey and, and Toby Gearhart, all of that stuff, those defenses, all that stuff was great. And the fact that it was happening at Stanford was just really exciting and and of course, he goes to the NFL and and turns San Francisco into something. I've always enjoyed Jim Harbaugh, the football coach, which is who I'm most familiar with. I think the reason the NCAA doesn't like Harbaugh, the reason he left um, San Fran the way that he as quickly as he left there, he's difficult to be with. I think he's difficult to be around. So I think his legacy will always have some. Ten, uh, some sort of duality of this is a great football coach, but he's a guy that you know is is tough to to deal with, tough to be around. He's pushing those buttons, and then he's hard to get along with. And uh, pushing the envelope, he's you know obviously he's he's had the NCAA after him all the time there at uh, at Michigan for what seems to be small things. And you're like, are these really things to be after him for? But again, it seems like people don't like him for potentially relevant reasons. You know, maybe he's just a difficult guy to deal with. Well, he definitely, he definitely doesn't agree with rules. (laughs) Like, and and, and this isn't even just the video recording. I mean, it's the the COVID stuff too, the recruiting stuff. Like, yes, these rules are stupid. I'm not, it's not about the rules being stupid. It's about respecting the rules that are put in place. And, and so I guess my and so my kind of flippancy with that isn't, mm-hmm. hey, you've got rules. How much of this is being done by everybody? Oh, and you, yeah, and the fair. NCAA really just kind of says whatever or and maybe people are maybe people don't maybe Kirby doesn't get turned in and Nate, Nick doesn't get turned in and Kiffin and whoever else doesn't get turned in. And so maybe. Harbaugh's the one that's getting turned in all the time because everybody else in the Big Ten doesn't like him, and so he just keeps getting turned in. And maybe other people just don't get turned in. So the NCAA has to do something because, hey, here's credible evidence of something that went wrong, so we got to go back in there. So maybe it's not the NCAA. Maybe it's just all the people in the Big Ten that don't like him because uh, he. I don't think he had this many problems at Stanford um, with violating rules. So maybe maybe he got along with – uh, the Pac-12 a lot better uh, than he does the Big Ten. Maybe something recently has happened that's made him such a such a bore to be around. 
or a chore to be around. Um, so I think his legacy is that of a excellent football coach, but a guy that's going to be hard to work with. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's going to be, uh, I imagine that's going to be a part of it to some degree. Uh, but his football, his football acumen can't be, uh, can't be questioned uh, any longer. I don't think. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's not one to one, but like, as you were talking, like I was just thinking about, like I was thinking about Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens yeah. is got it, it, like I, I, he's one of the few like superstar athletes I've gotten to see live. Um, I, I was at the, I was at the, I think it was two thousand four, uh, two thousand four Super Bowl. Uh, Eagles versus Patriots down in Jacksonville. Like I, I was, I was there for that game, and I, I got to see him with his broken leg. <laughs> you know, go for over a hundred yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but you know, no one's going to doubt his, you know, his athleticism, his ability. He probably could have gone down as one of the greatest receivers of all time if he wasn't just, as you were talking about, like again, not to the same degree, but just so impossible to work with. Just yeah, and and, and really, just to your point, he's. I think the the conversations now are Jerry, Randy, Theo. That yes. that's the three. That those are the greatest. Those are the three greatest of all time. And there's even a debate that some people like to have that you could put a To and a and a Randy over Jerry. I don't. Yeah, I, I subscribe I, to that, but no, some no, people no. do. So so what's so funny about you saying this and how this can, and this is probably why uh, To is on my mind is last week me and some buddies from. Uh, from work actually had this conversation uh, and and this is how I, I, I described it. And, and we'll, we'll just do this quickly, but I said that Jerry Rice is the best pure receiver ever, but Randy Moss is the most dominant receiver ever because, because Jerry Rice had the best hands, best route running, but Randy Moss was just an unstoppable force. But again, Randy Moss had issues off the field or I'm sorry, in the locker room that caused problems for him. Yeah, he he was he has a very big reputation for quitting on the field, which T.O. didn't have that reputation. T.O. was the locker room issue, Yeah, and Randy was the guy on field that could just sort of take plays off. Because he could, because he could be so dominant, he would, it seemed that he would take plays off. And plus, Randy and T.O. never quite played with the caliber of quarterback that, uh, Jerry got to play with for the majority of his career. Exactly. But just real quick aside, would you, would you, would you accept that? Like that sentiment? Cause, cause that's what I said. And they're like, Oh, what's the difference? And I was like, okay, Jerry, Jerry Rice again would be when you're looking at the technicality of the position, Jerry Rice is the best at it, but rain, but Jerry Rice does not have a, he doesn't have a game like Randy Moss says where he has three catches for 140 yards and three touchdowns. Like there is no game like that. By Jerry Rice, but at the same time, you don't have a you don't have a game by you don't have a game by Jerry Rice where he didn't block and just like quit playing in the middle of a game, you know. Um, but anyway, okay, that's that's a good correlation. All right, Spencer. So let's let's get to the big news: Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Alabama, uh, Alabama job search, Alabama job job search, head coach, head coach, head coach, Nick Saban. All right, where like where do you want to start? Because we did not talk a lot about this before we jumped on. Where do you want to start with this? Because I know I want to go a couple places, but I'm going to let you lead. So I think we started a little bit with kind of where we surprised 
uh, when we saw the news. Um, and we both pretty much, yes, but not so much. We've been talking about it. It's the greatest coach of all time, a guy that has impacted the sport in such a crazy way. We probably have a, a four-team playoff and a 12-team playoff almost because of him solely. And absolutely, that won't be completely accurate. But if you had it as a pie chart, Nick Saban would be like 70% at least as to why we have this playoff. Okay. Yep. I'm because so of glad just you how said that. dominant he's yep. been. Um, so I have a, I have a, uh, it's not really a hot take, but it's a take that I think you're going to agree with because it, it connects exactly what you're talking about. No single person has affected college football more than Nick Saban. And 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 it and it goes to what you just talked about that he he put he he put it to where everyone had to catch up to him and and it, it what it did was it raised twice. the bar t- twice yes absolutely so he, here twice. here's here are some things that I, I wrote down that uh, that he he I know for a fact he he affected one was absolutely recruiting but not just recruiting how schools spend on recruiting how coaches. Mm-hmm. How coaches recruit year round now, how coaches are like how, how the you know Kirby Smart gets credited for being this elite recruiter. Well, he learned from Nick Saban. Um, being willing to change offensive and defensive philosophies. You don't see a lot of you, you I mean, you don't see coaches do that. And you didn't see coaches do that back then either in the early 2000s. And so this and you saw we we witnessed Saban do it multiple times where he would change he changes offensive offensive philosophy his defensive philosophy to where then it became it's not this new it's not like run and gun it's not it's not the west coast offense it is the alabama offense it's the alabama defense excuse me um he 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 is uh alone helped push push rule changes across the board for all of college football. People considered it whining, but it ended up being better for the game because he pushed for it. Um, and, and also that was the other thing. I don't know if we ever, I don't know if we had a coach. I don't know if we've had a coach that has been as prolific as he had, that has been so for the health of the overall game of college football. You, I just don't see, I don't think we, we get that very often with coaches today. No, and um, it, and it comes from being as dominant as he was. I think that starts on the recruiting trail, and and when you can, when you can get out in front of it. I was thinking earlier about the number of national championship winning coaches or close to it, and how their careers have been altered because of Nick. And I think this ties into your point. You get rule changes because. This guy's been so dominant, and you think, what would Urban Meyer's career look like had it not been for Nick Saban's dominance? Would he have a – I mean, because he gets pushed out basically because of Nick. He comes into Florida before. He runs rough shot over the, over the league uh, there at Florida, and then Nick, Nick rolls into town, and in two or three years, he pushes Urban out. What would Kirby or um, Mark Rick's career look like? Where would Kirby be? If it weren't for Mark Rick, Nick Saban, but that's a uh, that's a different story. But like a different we, part did, of the conversation. Did you, did you say Mark Rick? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- Mart Rick. Mar- where would Mart Rick Mar- be? Dude, where Mar- would Rick, uh... Lane Kiffin, uh, Sarkeesian, uh, Les Miles, um, any any coach in the SEC West, any coach in the SEC West, like yeah, like hold on, I, this is a stat. It's a crazy stat. Um, SEC coaches who have been fired since Nick Saban. Hold on. I, oh, you yeah, can keep like talking. Fifty something. Yeah, I, I I found the article. I wanted to try to get the actual number. Um, oh my gosh, fifty three okay. is what I'm gonna say. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read these names to you. Okay, <laughs> these are the coaches that have been fired or resigned since, just in the SEC since Saban took over. Ed Orgeron at Ole Miss, Tommy Tuberville, Sylvester Croom. Oh my God, I forgot he was a coach. Phil Fulmer, Bobby Bobby Johnson, Urban Meyer, Bobby Petrino, Houston Nutt, John L. Smith, Gene Chiswick, Joker Phillips, Derek Dooley, Will Muschamp, Mark Rick, C. Spurrier, Les Miles, Hugh Freeze, Jim McElwain, Butch Jones, Brett Bielema, Kevin Sumlin, Chad Morris, Barry Odom, Matt Luke, Joe Moorhead, Will Muschamp, Derek Mason, Gus Malzahn, Jeremy Pruitt, Ed Orgeron again. And Dan Mullen. Holy crap. Yeah, and, and and so you just go back to Urban Meyer, um, Mark Rick, and even you mentioned him as well, Les Miles. Just those three guys alone. Yep. You think, man, where would those careers be? Where what would Mac Jones's or Mac Brown's career look like had it not been for um for Nick Saban? And I'm trying to think of others that maybe he's helped up in. What where would um uh, Dabo's got two championships, so we can leave him out of this conversation. Well, what yeah. about Lincoln Riley? Would Lincoln Riley have broken through at Oklahoma had it not been for uh, Unf- Nick Saban? I think that's a I think that's a fair <sighs> question. There were other things there too. I, I don't I don't Notre Dame Brian Kelly. Yeah, I think Bri- I think Kelly. I think I think the three coaches you can talk about have been directly affected more, like the most national championship like achieving. Because I mean, look, you, a lot of those coaches we listed aren't we're never going to win a title. But the three coaches that we can talk well, about—that's who I'm had, talking about—were the coaches yeah, yeah. that were winning titles. Yeah, well, but like I would, I would say Mart Rick, Urban Meyer, and Brian Kelly, and and Les Miles. Like you have to include Les Miles, right? But those, but those. Oh, four, oh, oh, um, oh, Auburn guy, Gus, Gus uh, Malzahn. Where would he be? Mm. I, I think it's oh, relevant yeah. to ask that question. Agreed. No, no, no. who I, knows? But I, mean, I think it's interesting to consider him. I think the answer is who knows. But but at the same time, like, you know, I, I love the what ifs, you know, like like the infamous like, well, hey, what if Justin Fields went to Penn State like he was originally committed? Or what if Tim Tebow goes to Bama when he the way he was first, you know, what, like when he was where he was first committed? It it's I, I love these what ifs, but like Nick Saban has had ripple effects over the last 20 years that like because you you, you want to talk about like. Yes, he's been at Bama for 17 years, but like you have to account, you also have to count for his his national title at FSU or at LSU, his coaching yep. at Michigan State. He was actually a coach at freaking Ohio State. Like people don't realize that, and he was a head coach before that too. Like uh, b- before going to uh, LSU, you know. Uh, here's another. Here's a legacy question I have for you, Spencer. Like, is Nick Saban? the greatest greatest football coach of all time. No, I think that'll be I don't think so. Okay. I think people will say well the time in the NFL yada 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 mm-hmm. uh, will be a part of that factor in that 
the NFL is the highest order and you don't get you don't get to control the players you pull in at the NFL the way you get to control it at the college level. Um, now give him credit for how he controlled the, that situation at the college level because he was in control of it and he took advantage and he made the opportunity. But I think people will say if you can't do it in the NFL, then you can't be considered the greatest of all time. Okay. I I I just I was just thinking about like more and more like I I kind of lean yes because I don't know who would be the answer. Like because you can't well, I say think Bel- a lot of people you can't say Belichick. I think a lot of people would point to Bill and then Don well, Don Shula, I could, I could hear Don Shula. I could even hear, um, oh my gosh, how am I forgetting his name now? Uh, Bill Walsh. Like, I could hear the argument for people, like for coaches who transcended the game, right? In ways. Like, people don't realize this, but Bill Walsh single-handedly changed the way that we play football. Like, we're still playing with, we're still playing with, with plays and philosophies of football that he, that he created. Um, but like, I just, I just look at Saban and, for him to win titles at multiple places and for him to be dominant year in and year out. I, I've, I've just, I've always, I've always just thought that was really great of him. Bill Belichick. I, I dock greatly because ever since Brady left, he hasn't, he hasn't even sniffed the playoffs. Um, but I understand the argument against him. His time at Miami was bad. Like there's, there's absolutely no way around it. My, my friend David Bunkley is a huge Miami Hurricanes fan, and he will, he will, he will take Saban to task for, for, for the crap that he pulled at, uh, at, at Miami. Um, okay, Spencer. So let me. So he, here's what I, here's what I asked you to come. I gave you some homework. Um, here is what I want from you first. Okay. Um, let me pull this up. Give me. Give me two or three of your favorite Saban moments. Like that could be decisions made and we're, we're not going to go much longer folks, but like, I, I just want to know Spencer, like, give me, give me, give me a couple of your favorite Saban moments. Well, I think you could go to a first and foremost, I think you could go to a collage or a, a compilation of at the podium things that he's, that he's said a uh, rat poison being kind of the, the lead dog. And there being, I think there was, it was kind of like, it was a moment for me of like, okay, like it was a, it was an interesting insight into why it's difficult to win week in and week out through that rat poison soundbite, because then the rat poison soundbite got explained and it was like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense because at that point I had not been around sports teams the way I've been able to be around them over the last 10 years or so. And so to hear that and to the inside of that always felt good and, uh, or it felt, you know, in, uh, enlightening. And I think several other of his, you know, sound bites and different things that he's gone off on. The other one was, he was talking about, you know, where do you want these kids to be? Do you want them out on the street or do you want them here at Alabama? Do you want or, you know, and this could apply to Georgia or to Texas or to whoever, Valdosta State. It could apply to the high school, the local high school. Do you want them here or there? When he was at Michigan State, 
Musa Muhammad was a receiver for him. Musa got in, in, into trouble, and they punished him. They made him do things. People wanted him kicked off the team. They didn't do that. And now Musa Muhammad, uh, if it's the same guy that went on to play with Carolina and win a Super Bowl, but he's like, he's got a full family. He had a great NFL career, and he's got two daughters that are going to Princeton. And he just he just lays out this great life that Musa Muhammad has been able to put together because he stayed at Michigan State with Nick Saban, and they he got in trouble, but they punished it, they handled it, and he's now a successful human being. And there's a part of that that I can just I can really buy into. That on one hand, yes, Nick doesn't want to get rid of his good players. Okay, you can do that shallow thing if you want to. But I don't think you get into the business as deep and as enthusiastically. I don't think you work as hard as Nick and Kirby and these other guys work. And you just don't give a rat's rear end about these kids. Now, granted, does everybody get treated the same way? Nick's coached a thousand players. Does everybody have a lovely W relationship with him? No, they don't. Do all of his coaches? No. Does everybody get the same treatment? No. But you don't get into this business and not care. Agreed. So and not see the benefit of what it could mean for yep. you kicking the kid out and he goes back home where there's nothing for him. You send yep. Michael Vick back to Virginia where there's nothing for him. And that's what he becomes. Nothing. Just some bum somewhere doing nothing. And Nick keeps him. Not Michael Vick, that was a random example, but Nick keeps his guys and he takes care of them and he sends them off. And hopefully that gives them a better opportunity uh, to to go the distance. So I've always liked Nick Saban. I love, yep, same. you know, kind of the, the angry press conferences. I don't mind all of those kinds of things. And that working in childcare, you're a teacher as well. It makes sense to say. We can't just kick these kids off and hand them off to somebody else who's not going to care and hand them off to somebody else. And then they hand them off and the kid just bounces around and he turns into who knows what he turns into. Yeah. If they're here, it's better. It's safer. Yeah. It's a better opportunity for them to make something of themselves. And I've always liked that about him. That might be my most favorite thing. Um, and I'll let you agree. talk now. Yeah, no, completely agree. I uh, and that goes back to the the part of uh, he changed how we how we do recruiting. He he, yes, obviously there is going to be some payment that's involved. There's there's no way there's not. But he always knew the limit of what to pay. He just changed how we how we do recruiting, how we view it, because it was about relationships. Like Kirby has talked about that a lot of times um, at these uh, like coaching clinics and conferences that they have after the season's over. With he's talked about how he learned about you know it really is about building relationships with kids and you know i know the easy remark is you know hey obviously money but like he he and all these other coaches these other programs they've known what to what is what they're willing to give up um for for these players and they were never willing to give up above and beyond um i i just i i also respect uh nick saban greatly um there were things at times that came across like he was whining about things, but he ultimately a lot of times ended up being right um, in his complaining about certain things and his warnings at times of like, you sure you want, you, you sure y'all want this to, you know, y'all want this to happen. 
Um, and and a lot of times it was a it was a fair warning. And man, I I just when I think about this this Alabama program, obviously it is nowhere without Bama, but also it's got another elite coach in its history with you know Bear Bryant, and and so it's just it's a you don't really see a lot of schools who are able to have have that kind of success uh, much, you know, on the player front, much less a coaching front, especially for that long. Um, I am, I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, oh, oh, actually let, let me, but let me transition real quick to my, my Saban. Uh, I'll, I'll give just one Saban moment that I have. And it's, it's one that us Georgia fans hate, but it's one that you, you cannot, you cannot ignore in the legacy of Nick Saban. And that is the 20, the 2017 national title game where if he keeps Jalen hurts in that game, they're, they're, they're getting worked. They're, they're going to, they're going to lose badly. They were already down two scores in that game should have been down probably more, uh, but then he makes the decision to put in the left-handed, the left-handed freshman, and you know they they go on to win a national title, and just to have the just to have the audacity to do it because I remember when it happened. I, I remember at ha- like going into the second half, I was watching the game with with my wife, and I said, "We're about to lose this game," and she said, "Why?" and I said, "Because he's putting Tua in." And, and she's like, who the heck is Tua? And I was like, he's this incredible freshman from Hawaii that is really good. And she's like, oh, well, maybe it won't be that bad. Two hours later, it was that bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Almost, yeah. It's almost an important moment just in college. You can't – you almost have to tell the story of college football with that moment. Agreed. Yes. That's a, that's a great point because that was a, that was a ripple effect moment of, hey, if Saban – one of the, at the time, one of the most conservative coaches at times, when it, especially when it came to the offensive side of the ball, a very loyal coach as well, rarely was, was known for playing his upperclassmen. If he's willing to put in his freshman in the biggest game of the year, hey, maybe I need to consider doing that too. And, and I, I agree. I, I, I agree with you. I think it changed the game. Okay, sister, so we're going to try to run through this uh, real quick. I right. have one other one last oh, moment, if you don't please. mind. Yeah, yeah, please, please. 2020 was one of the most impressive seasons uh, of offense, and I think even without Tua, the the offensive innovation that Nick kind of uh, pivoted into was at its peak in 2020, and to have a Heisman Trophy-winning wide receiver I think is a really cool thing. Uh, Devontae Smith was one heck of a pleasure to watch that season. Oh, yeah. A highlight reel, almost single-handedly won games on his own. I think the Ohio State game was a little bit of a mismatch because Ohio State didn't have players, whatever. But, I mean, that was an incredible season. Matt Jones, 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, and four interceptions. To throw 41 touchdowns in 10 games, I guess they did end up playing 13 that year the uh, the regular season games i guess not harris with 30 total touchdowns and 1400 yards and then devonta smith with 1800 yards and 23 touchdowns oh my god did you say that was the yards? peak of it holy crap yeah devonta smith cool. 1800 yards and 23 touchdowns to have oh, yeah to have that happen 
the the peak of it all post Tua Tonga Vailoa. Mac Jones was the guy that nobody believed in, and Bryce Young was expected to take over, but Max settles in, and again, I already read his numbers. Just uh just an incredible 2020 season. Devonta Smith Heisman Trophy. Najee Harris was a great player to watch. Maybe my favorite running back right next to Derrick Henry of the Alabama tenure. And then um, you know, it's it's cool to have seen uh just that that 2020 season play out the way that it did. Um and Alabama was, you know, they had they had morphed right back into national championship form, their last national championship. Yeah, like to to add to the legacy of Nick Saban, you're not really going to find many national championships won by the type of quarterback that he had. He won a lot of titles with game managing quarterbacks, man. No. Like and, and you AJ McCarron, just, Jake uh-huh. Coker. Uh uh, what about uh, what about in fifteen? Um, Sims wasn't it Blake Sims? No, Blake Sims just won the Nash the uh, SEC championship. Oh, he didn't win the Natty. If I thought he fifteen was Jake Coker that won the Natty. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Oh, well, with that said, fourteen you... was Blake Sims, and they oh they they lost. That's right, they lost to that Ohio State team. Um, yeah, dude. That by the, the way, first year of the playoff. By the way, go look at that roster of that Bama team on, on the offense. Dude, gross. Just disgusting. Yeah, TJ Yeldon and Derrick Henry. And Amari Cooper. Like, just, it was it was just disgusting. All right. Amari so, Cooper had 124 receptions that season. Jeez Louise. Um, Spencer, let me, let me ask you a big question, and then we got to get out of here because it's getting late for your boy here. Um. We all know the names. I'll list them the names that have been mentioned just to just to keep it brief for everybody. Kalen DeBoer, Mike Norvell, uh, Sark, Elaine Kiffin, um, Dabo Sweeney, Deion Sanders. Um, there's all these names being mentioned, but I want to ask you a question. Who do you want to go to Bama? And I'm not asking you with your Georgia hat on. I'm asking you just for the betterment of college football. Who do you want to go to Bama? Okay, so if the Georgia hat is off, Part of me be most interested in Lane Kiffin and or Dan Lanning. I think both of those guys would understand the environment that they're walking into. They would understand the court, the the recruiting situation that's at hand and how to continue that machine that has been built there. I'm sure a Steve Sarkeesian would be in the same boat and he would be able to handle all that right. Dabo would be able to handle all that, right? I think in the betterment, if if I can take the betterment of college football in a different direction and we continue to sort of keep Alabama at a normal or normal is not the right word, but maybe if we can slow them down just a little bit, would a Kellen DeBoer be a good answer as somebody who maybe doesn't quite understand the situation as well? Is he going to be able to keep up from a recruiting standpoint? What does his relation like? What is his knowledge of the area? He's been a great coach at Washington, but would he translate to the SEC? And would it be good to, for the betterment of college football, to have Alabama operating at a slightly slower speed? And that mean, like we've already started to see, that mean there's a little bit more for everybody else. 
Georgia can, and not necessarily Georgia, but Florida State continues to get a couple of players that Alabama would take. Auburn now starts taking a couple of players that Alabama would take. LSU and whoever else. And you start spreading. (laughs) I mean that from a spreading the talent out a little bit more. Could that be a good thing? Um, And heck, that might happen no matter who's at Alabama just because of transfer portal and all those things. But um, it would be interesting. I think Dan Lanning would be the biggest trouble. It would be hilarious if they stole Hugh Freeze from Auburn, wouldn't it? Would that not be just the funniest I, thing in the history of the world? Yeah, but I think Bama, I think Bama boosters and stuff hate Hugh Freeze. Um, probably do, but I, it just would be funny from a so, rivalry standpoint. So yeah, I kind of hate you um, because like Kalen DeBoer was my answer. Like I kind of want Kalen DeBoer to go and and look. I think it works perfectly. You you he is about to lose everything about from this awesome Washington team. He he is losing everybody, and all he has coming in is Will Rogers. Um, he ha- if you go look at his record from his time at Division uh, Division Two, II, Division Three, all the way now, he's lost like a total of seven games as a head coach. Um, like he he is an incredible coach. He also is not from the Southeast, which is Saban. To- Saban is not from the Southeast. He's from the Midwest. Um, I I think I think it would be a great great hire. Uh. Also, his buyout is only like seven million dollars. The, the, and I don't, I don't want to have too, too an extensive of a talk about this, but my, my concern with landing stuff. Well, first of all, I need, I need to give this out because this is important information. First of all, it's believed that they, that they've known for weeks that Alabama is like brass knew for like weeks that this was happening. Also, it's, it's being, it's being mentioned that. Uh, I want to get this right that it, it seems that mrs miss terry has early alzheimer's and was diagnosed and that is a huge reason why nick is retiring did hear something about health concerns but they just said health concerns almost as if it was nick's health concerns but that would be an interesting piece and yeah that would definitely mean i'd, I'd like to stay home more i'd like to be able to have these because that's i had a friend of mine quick side note i had a buddy of mine uh go through that Uh, a guy an older gentleman that i've worked with in broadcasting he went through that and it uh, it's torn his wife to pieces watching Mm. him fade away and it was it was even rough for me a couple of times seeing him at ball games baseball games or whatever and he not he not Not know who i was yeah 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 so and that that's I, tough because, yeah, I can't I, I can't I can't fathom that like that's heartbreaking to think about just because like the leg like Nick Saban has you know obviously has this legacy but so does Miss Terry <laughs> like Miss Terry is like no oh, yeah for, she, yeah like she's she's known for being the true boss of everything. Um, also, like I, I I will say this like Kellen Kalen DeBoer will be the pick that I would want. The pick that I think is going to happen though. I, I because because here here's what I was I, I've been thinking about this for a few hours now. To take this job, you have to have enough. What's the word? Gumption. Would you use that word? Gumption to not care about following the greatest coach in college football history. And you have to leave like because these names that are being mentioned, they're leaving almost perfect ideal situations to like they would be leaving perfect ideal situations to go to Bama to follow the goat. Right. And 
I, I just I don't know why Lanning would do that, especially in the season of what he's going into. I don't think Dabo's legit. I don't I don't think that's a legit possible hire. Kirby, I want to be very clear, folks. Kirby's not going anywhere. Kirby is at his literal dream job. He played at Bama or at Georgia. He coached early on in his career at Georgia. He is not going anywhere. But the one that I think is, is I, I just got a text that he apparently is really in the mix. Lane Kiffin apparently is seriously in the mix for this job, man. Yeah, and, and you're right. Somebody who wouldn't care about leaving, wouldn't care about following Nick Saban would probably be somebody who's not in a in a really good situation. I, I like that. And which also think brings Dion into it, right? Did yeah, I but you steal that from but, me. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I I Dion is a non-factor for me because I don't think Dion is a great we have yet to see that he's a great D1 coach yet. Like, sure. like it, it would make like I would I would be completely shocked if if Bama hired Deion Sanders to take over when he is yet to win more than four games in a season in college football or in individual in college football. Fair enough. Um, but again, you gotta be you gotta you gotta have the cojones. To say I don't care, and and if someone's gonna have that, it's a thousand percent Lane Kiffin. Um, yeah. so that would kind of be my guess. All right, Spencer. So, um, we we can we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this over the next few days. Here's the thing I would make mention, folks. Uh, in the coming days, pay attention greatly to the transfer portal because Alabama players now have 30 days to transfer out if they want to because their coach has left. Um, and I can tell you, I can tell you from what I've been told, expect Georgia to go after some of those players. <laughs> um, sure. Um, um, I'm also just saw John Talty, who's I think been doing a lot of the tweeting today and, and reporting today. Alabama team was told Wednesday that the school hoped to have Saban's replacement in mm-hmm. place in the next 72 hours. Yeah, that was the other part I was going to say. Is uh, And you didn't steal yeah. from me. I just forgot to say it. Um, but d- do not expect a long time to wait to see who the coach is. Because, um, I mean, if, that, you're Nick, if you're Alabama, you can kind of get whoever you want for, for yes. the most part. Yes, you can. And But also, you just signed – you just have a bunch of recruits that you just had signed and come in. You also have a bunch of kids who are not early enrollees in this class. They had quite a bit who did not early enroll. You, they, these kids can easily be let out of their letter of intent because the coach left. Also, every one of those players, all those starters are able to transfer one freebie in the next 30 days. So you, like, you kind of have to move quickly um, because you don't, you don't want to lose them. And Caleb Downs, come on down, buddy. Mm. Um. Uh, anyway, okay, Spencer. So what what we'll do is, we'll, like I said, we'll keep track of this. And our next episode, we will uh, we can talk more about this. Maybe talk about the news of transfers, if any. But we're we're definitely going to take a, take time to look at uh, Alabama's twenty twenty four schedule and see kind of what we uh what we think. And maybe we'll uh, wait till a new coach is hired to uh, record that. Um, but Spencer, I'm out, man. I'm done. I am as well. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip-flop later. Later.